Good morning. Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. May God bless you this morning. It's good to see you. And as we turn to his word now, come with expectation with me as we recognise that God still speaks in the most extraordinary way through his written word by his living word, Jesus Christ. Let's meet with Jesus and hear from Jesus as we turn to the word. Take a moment with me just to pray. Lord, we come with expectation now, knowing that your word speaks truth. Your word challenges and changes us. We pray, come Holy Spirit now, speak through the written word, that we may, each one of us, be transformed a little more into the likeness of Jesus this morning. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. All right, good. We could bring up the uh, PowerPoint. There it is. Look at that. Awesome. Thank you. Let's stick that there a second. That is even better. There we go. Don't mind me. Bit of window dressing. There we are. Um, I want to talk to you this morning about something really simple. We're in our Jesus flavoured culture series, waking up to the flavour of who we are, who God's called us to be as a church. We're looking at um, aspects from our vision statement. Vision statements can be very boring. They can seem like, oh, what's this thing just on a website, whatever. But actually, we want to look through the lens of how does this resonate with what Jesus has always been teaching when he bumped into people. So often it was the culture of the day that he went, this isn't how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to live and feel and think and act differently. And so that's what we want to do uh, in this series and what we have been doing. And I want to talk to you this morning about something that is crucial for us if we as a church and as individuals are going to live the life that Jesus wants us to live, to be the people he wants us to be. I want to talk about being a people of expectation. Expectation that this sovereign God of ours really does love this world. And he really is reaching out to bring about his kingdom expectation that this sovereign God of ours hears our prayers when we pray. He deeply cares and responds in wonderful ways. Expectation that Jesus really is still changing lives today here at Creech, in your village, in your town, in your workplace, your homes, wherever it might be. He's doing it, we believe, and will do it even this morning. As God's people, we need to cultivate a culture of expectation. Dano, if you watch this lovely program, hands up, anyone, you'll notice uh, the longer you hear me preach over the years, how often I come back to food as a, <laughs> as a topic. Here it is again. Um, the Great British Bake Off, for those of you who don't know it, it's very simple. It's a bake off, it's a baking competition, and there are judges that judge these amateur bakers. Um, on how well they do each week and someone leaves uh, each week until there's a winner. But there is one of the judges is Prue Leith, who I think is an absolute dead ringer for Di Woosley. I'm always cheering Prue on. Where's Di? Is she with us this morning? Oh, Di. If you're watching this back, love you, Di. Uh, or Prue. Um, uh, they are. Just We always call Prue Di in our house. Um, but there's another one called Paul Hollywood and he is, um, he is a master artisan baker and he judges, you know, he's been baking all his life since, since man and boy. What he doesn't know about a hot cross bun isn't worth knowing. Um, and he judges, and often, 
these dreadful looking things that people have produced and he's got to eat every single one of them. Sometimes you feel sorry for him, sometimes you think, that looks all right. Um, But every now and then he'll look at something and he'll pause and you'll see him thinking and then he'll put out his famous handshake and offer it to that person. And if you get a handshake, apparently from Paul Hollywood, that is the very best thing you can get. Even winning the Bake Off isn't as good as getting a handshake from this baker, this artisan professional, this expert. You see, when the expert is amazed at what you've produced, that's a pretty significant thing. Now, Jesus was not an artisan baker. He was pretty good at barbecues. We read that in scripture. And probably an artisan craftsman, possibly like his dad when it came to wood. That would be really interesting to know for sure, but almost certainly. However, his expertise, his real expertise, was far more significant. His field of expertise was faith. People would gather all around him to learn about faith in God, to grow in faith in God, to witness miracles, to hear his teaching. And over and over again, we read the most common response by the people where they were amazed by Jesus. It says over and over again, they were amazed. They were amazed. They were amazed. If we met Jesus here face to face this morning, we would be amazed. Wow, Jesus, you're extraordinary. But there are two times when the Bible tells us that Jesus was amazed back. Just two. And I like spotting these little things in Scripture. This is one of them. Uh, There are two times... When Jesus was amazed, and both of these times, it was about faith. Jesus was amazed by faith. The expert amazed at the faith of others. The first time we read it in chapter 6 was that the faith shown by those from his hometown, these people the closest to Jesus, they were gathered together as a community of faith in a local synagogue, and at first they were amazed at his teaching, as so many were, but then we read they began to doubt him. Where did this man get these things? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't Mary's son, brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Didn't we change his nappies? Didn't we tell him off when he was running around in the street? That's what they start to say. And it says here in Mark 6, uh, verse 5 and 6, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. I love that. Just, just a few healings, you know, not much. Couldn't do much there. Wow. Um, but it says he was amazed at their lack of faith. Wow. Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. The second time we read, that Jesus was amazed at the faith of another was in today's passage. And this time it's a little bit different. A certain Roman centurion servant is paralysed, suffering terribly, and so the centurion comes to Jesus like so many others before him, and yet he does something different. Instead of pleading with Jesus to come and help, we read in Matthew's account that he simply says, Jesus, say the word, and my servant will be healed. You see, the centurion believed that Jesus had authority over illness. Just as the soldier, the centurion, had authority over his soldiers. I have authority and I'm under authority. You have authority, authority over illness. Say the word and he will be healed. There and then. And we read in verse 10, and Jesus heard this, he was amazed, amazed, and said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. 
Think about that for a moment. Jesus was amazed at this man's faith. This man who was an outsider, who didn't belong to God's people, part of the oppressive Roman occupiers. This was the only person we ever read that Jesus wasn't just impressed or a little bit like, well, I wasn't bad, but he was amazed at their faith. See, as we reflect on this, for Jesus to be amazed, we realize that faith like this isn't easy. It was obviously rare, not common. I've not found anyone in all of Israel, Jesus said, with faith like this, but the Roman didn't know that. The centurion didn't have a clue. Didn't, so I see this swagger up, see my amazing faith, everyone. He didn't have a clue, did he? No. He had simple and profound faith, and he exercised it. He showed it. If anything, it was faith like a child. A childlike faith. We speak of that often. You see, my kids believe I can fix anything. <laughs> Don't tell them. Don't tell them. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> but they do, and it's so lovely. If there's a, a Barbie head popped off, give it to Dad, he'll fix it. If a necklace has got, you know how those necklaces get all tied up in nuts, give it to Dad. I think that one's just a ruse to get out of doing it. But, you know, something's tangled, oh, give it to Dad. If a remote control car's stopped operating, give it to Dad. If you've broken something like a pot, ooh, give it. Dad, Dad'll fix it, and I have a fixing drawer where sometimes I open it and it's just got something new in it. It's like, oh, what's this little little toy that's broken? And some of them, I'll be honest, I'm probably not going to be able to fix. But my kids still have a profound faith that I will, and it's probably a misplaced faith if I'm honest, but it's a very real and childlike faith. Dad will fix it, and that's the faith the centurion had about Jesus. But Brothers and sisters, it wasn't misplaced. It was never misplaced. Jesus can fix this. When it comes to matters of faith, as a church, I want us to be mature. I want us to be wise. I don't want us to be led astray by every new fad. Not to believe every charlatan's claim. There's enough of them out there. Not to get caught up in the latest hype. I want us to be well thought through, well read, with a deep understanding, a hunger for study. I want us to be developing in our discipleship solid and capable, mature Christians, reflecting sensitively on the complexities and needs of our hurting world. But you know what? Above all else, and I mean above all else, I don't want us to lose our childlike faith in Jesus. Jesus will fix this. He can do it. I want us to unashamedly hold on to the truth that even in the pain and the suffering and unexplained sorrows of this life, Jesus is still the answer, as we heard Jenny pray. He's still on his throne. And even though we don't see it fully now, one day his will and his kingdom will be known in all the earth and for all eternity. I don't want us to ever lose our fervent expectation that our amazing, wonderful, powerful, sovereign God still answers prayer, still works miracles and wonders, still transforms lives today, even here, even now. And yet it's not easy. I recognised that this morning as I was preparing this. It's not easy. Take a moment to think for me why it is so difficult You see, this culture of cautiousness versus this culture of expectation. So easy as Christians to slip into a culture of cautiousness and I'm being kind with the word cautious. A culture of falling asleep and not really expecting anythingness. But that was a bit long, so I kept cautiousness. I thought it would be a bit easier. 
Why do we slip so quickly into this culture of cautiousness? Let's whiz through some, just think with me. There's a moment of thinking, of understanding what's going on here. Firstly, over-familiarity. Our expectations can slip when we become so familiar to the things of God. We almost become numb sometimes to the wonder of who he is, don't we? It was the people who knew Jesus best that had least faith in him. Do you notice that in the passage, or what I spoke of earlier? It was the people who knew the religious order and the ways that were most cautious uh, of all. They felt they knew God, but they'd forgotten who this God that they knew really was. Isn't that an interesting one? Oh, we know God, yeah, but have you forgotten who the God is that you know? They lost their awe and wonder and they replaced it with, they replaced their wow with rules and religion and they stifled and choked their faith and their expectation. And I think it can happen to us. We can get over familiar with God. We've been a Christian a long time. There's nothing new to experience. Little we haven't seen. We've learnt the rules of the game, but without realising it, we've actually become bound by the rules. That's another thing that can happen. Rules about how to pray and what to pray for and when. Rules about the language we must use, the Bible verses we must quote, the authority we must take or not take, or things we must or must not do in certain orders. Rules about when to ask certain things. Rules about... Uh, which situations are appropriate to expect God to move in, which ones are not appropriate. Religious rules, 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 if we're not careful. Nothing wrong with studying prayer and scripture, developing models and theologies, but we mustn't be bound and choked by rules because the centurion didn't have a clue about the rules, did he? He didn't realise that the healer was supposed to be present with the sick when they went to heal them. He didn't realise that they were supposed to go and assess the situation, go, oh yes, oh, I see, mm, oh right. He didn't realise that the healer was then supposed to you know, put their hands over and then speak a prayer over. He didn't know any of this stuff. He just went, Dad can fix this. Jesus, you can fix this. Do it now, Jesus. Just say it and it will be done. And we see it with new Christians, don't we? They come into the faith and they just know this God that's changed their life and they don't know any of the rules that hold them back and they just go for it and they start praying for people and God turns up and they see things happen at work and they go, oh yeah, yeah, something's coming. Oh yeah, I'm bringing seven friends with me. Seven friends, what's going on? You know, to some Christian event. We're all there thinking, oh, do I have one I could possibly invite? I don't know. It's funny, isn't it? The rules can stifle us. The truth is, when all is said and done, there are no rules. We're just called to believe our God can do far more than we ever dare ask or imagine, and to give it a go, to pray, to step out, to believe, to expect. But, hang on Matt, what if we get it wrong? It's another one, isn't it? Fear of failure. Best to be cautious on this one, isn't it? Hey, We can be afraid that by expressing our faith we're going to offend others. You can really express your faith in a really unhelpful way. I just want to say that. It's not helpful. It's actually uh, counter-helpful to the gospel. But also the fear of getting that wrong. If you're that kind of person, you're unlikely (laughs) to go that far uh, and to offend. But the fear of offending others uh, can hold us back. We might be afraid that we might do our best ever prayer and declare everything and go for it and absolutely nothing happens. Oh, man. Embarrassing. Best I don't do that again. We might fear that we'll look like a fool, really believe for something and not see it. It's human nature to fear failure, I think. The truth is that sometimes we'll all get it wrong. We'll make mistakes. 
<laughs> we won't see everything as we expected or hoped. So when it comes to faith, it can be easier or feel safer to not really expect anything. Much better to look wise. Oh, I think we should just not do anything in this situation, you know? And confuse wisdom with lack of faith. It's possible to do. It's best we just hold back. A bit reserved here, you know? Whilst it may be safer, when we don't ask or expect, it turns out we don't see. I mean, I'm not saying God doesn't do things without us. He does all around. But even them you can miss if you're not expecting him to be doing stuff. But what if we do pray and pray and pray and believe in faith and we still see nothing? This is another one, and I want to be really sensitive here. We're left with a deep sense of disappointment. And that disappointment and sorrow can stop us asking, can't it? can stop us expecting. We need to be honest. Sometimes we can't give an answer to why God has not answered a prayer. And why even though we were filled with faith, wholehearted, come on God, just didn't happen in the way we thought. When we look at the world right now, thank you Jenny for leading us and praying for this hurting world. Unimaginable suffering in Ukraine, in Israel, in Gaza. It's appalling. It's appalling. It's heartbreaking. It's upsetting. It's too much to take in. 32 conflicts in the world right now. Most of them we don't know about because the news goes blind to it. Too much. Nearly 50 million people across the world on the brink of famine. We could be overwhelmed with sorrow. And some of us know this loss and suffering personally in our own family, in our own lives, even now, even this week. We can ask, where's God in all of this? Why doesn't he do something? Is he hearing our cries for the world? Is he hearing my own cries? I don't want to give you a glib answer here. I want to acknowledge that sometimes our faith is real and true and still we don't see what we want to see. We can't understand it. We can't work out how it could possibly fit in God's great plan. We end up feeling disappointed, overwhelmed by sorrow, end up losing our expectation that God really cares or that he's going to answer prayer. And yet, if you feel this sometimes, I just want to say to you this morning something really significant. You are not alone. We don't need to hide our disappointments and sorrows as Christians. Being a church with a culture of faith and expectation does not mean being a church where we pretend everything is fine. And it's always good. And it's always easy. No, that's just a cult. That's just lies. That's rubbish. That's not what we're called to live and be. We recognise and are honest about the mystery, the pain, the confusion and the hurt. We lament and we grieve. We long for God's kingdom to come. We're this side of glory. Until we're the other side, we will always long for more. Always. And this has been the way, the tension we experience, been the very real experience of every one of our forefathers and four sisters before us. You see it throughout scripture. We don't need to rewrite the Bible to fit our experience. Now in it we see the fullness of the experience of this life, of suffering and sorrow, pain and loss, the battle between good and evil, the effects of sin and greed and violence, and yet we see and read that the kingdom is breaking in, but it's not here yet in full. We see people healed and rejoicing, we see people dying and suffering, and amidst it all we still read that Jesus comes to us and calls us to have a childlike faith. 
that he is still God, that he is still good, that he is working out his plans, that he still hears, that he still cares, and that he still answers in the most beautiful ways in this world. Yes, we might move away from overly simplistic answers, and yes, we might reject really unhelpful fundamentalism that just says it's black and white, it's all easy, it's got to be like this, and if it's outside my box, I can't understand it. The truth is none of us can understand all of it. We move away from judgmentalism. But we don't move away from that call to a childlike faith to believe that God still answers, to believe that he's still wonderful, to believe that one day he will wipe every tear from every eye. There'll be no more illness or suffering, no more sorrow, no more loss. He's making all things new. Until that day we do not give up because we see glimpses of it breaking in again and again and again and again. We are a people of hope even amidst the hopelessness of light, even amidst the darkness of faith. Even when all around would say, why would you have faith in God? Because he's glorious. Because he's wonderful. Because he went to a cross to take all this suffering and pain and felt it himself. Instead of staying aside and watching from a distance, he entered into it. He knows what we're going through. And he's made a way through. And right now we don't see it in full and right now it can really hurt. But we are a people of faith to say, do you know what? Jesus is amazing. Dad can fix this. He's the only answer to it all. And so, and I want us to move into a time of worship in a moment and prayer. Before we do, I just want to say that you and I are in a battle for faith all around us. The most natural thing of all is to embrace this culture of cautiousness. And yet I believe God calls us to cultivate a culture of expectation, even amidst the mystery and the sorrow and the disappointments. This morning, I want to ask God to wake us up to the reality of who he is again. Who this God is that we say we know. He's extraordinary. He's wonderful. His love knows no limits. He gave everything for you and me, for this world he loves. He rose again and bust death apart. Smashed it. And he's sovereign and he rules and he reigns. Where over-familiarity and religiosity has caused us to lose sight of that. Where failure and disappointments and yes, sorrow has ground down our childlike faith. I want to pray that God will do a new thing in us this morning and renew it again. Spark it back up, Jesus, in us. I heard a term a few years ago that sent a shiver down my spine. The principal of Bristol Baptist College used it in a talk. I think it was to the trustees. It was, I'm a trustee at the Baptist College. And it wasn't even like a sermon. He was just like talking to us about the next steps. And, what, and he used this phrase, and it's never left me, practical atheism. And he said, we don't want to be practical atheists. It, what he means by it is Christians that believe in Jesus, and yeah, and pray and worship and come to church on Sundays, but other than that, we practically live our lives as if he doesn't really exist. We never take a risk. We never expect him to show up. We never expect him to move. We, we never step out in faith. We never really, really act as if we believe practically. 
even if we say it or believe in our hearts. We don't believe that he actually is still making a difference, intervening in this world today all around us. I just want to say to you really clearly, I don't want to be a practical atheist. Can I just get that out here? I just don't want to be a practical atheist. I want to be a believer, right? Both on Sundays and through the week. When I'm at church, at home or at work, I want to be on fire for God. Even when it doesn't make sense, even when I don't see it, I don't deny or hide that I don't have all the answers, but I want to trust and believe that God's going to show up. He's going to do things. He's going to change lives. I want that for me. I want it for you. I want it for us as a church. Because there's someone who doesn't want that for us. The enemy wants to steal and stifle and choke our culture of faith and expectation. If there's one thing he can take is that childlike faith, overcomplicate it, overburden you, and make you stop wondering whether God might actually do something here and make you think, well, he doesn't and he won't. You see, the enemy wants to steal our spark, wants to use sorrow and disappointment especially, I believe, to steal that childlike faith that dad can fix it from us. But I want to say to you, I believe I believe this morning that God would say to us, you can reclaim what the enemy has stolen. If it's resonating with you, and you think, yeah, it has gone, I want to say to you this morning, you can reclaim what the enemy has stolen. Because God is here. And his Holy Spirit can reignite in you something new. A new faith for a new season, maybe more than you've ever had before, where despite it all, you don't hide the sorrows and the mystery. It's part of it. And yet you still go, Jesus is Lord. He's wonderful. And I'm going to trust, I'm going to expect him to show up. And I particularly want to just ask God for some here this morning to give you the gift of faith today for a situation you're facing or for something that's going on in your life or even in the world around. See, the Bible speaks of saving faith. All of us have when we put our trust in Jesus. It also speaks of this special gift Corinthians 12, we read of all the different gifts, miracles and prophecy and tongues. And there's this gift of faith in it all. And I wonder which one would I choose if I could choose just one. But I think it would be faith, because it's the one where even just a gift the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. And all the others can follow, if I could really have that gift of faith from Jesus. It is mission critical that we have folks here with that extra gift of faith. When we're all wavering and someone goes, you know what, Jesus is Lord. We're going to follow him. He's going to do it. And we all go, oh yeah, he is, isn't he? Let's go. Come on, we can do this. Mission critical. And if you want that faith this morning, or you need that gift of faith in a situation, I simply want to say to you, Paul says, eagerly seek the spiritual gift. Seek it. This morning, ask God and believe that he will do a new thing in you because we need folks with the gift of faith. Because right now in this church, there will be folks going through genuine sorrow, genuine loss and sadness and trials. I want to say we do not always see what we hope for. We do not always see the victories we long for. Not until the kingdom comes in full. But I also want to say to all of us, let's not lose our childlike expectation and faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Saviour. Because in this church there are also lives being given to Jesus. God's healing and hope. 
Hope and comfort in bereavement, relationships touched and healed, transformation in thinking and grace, answers to prayers. In this church, in our day, God's still speaking, moving, challenging, forgiving, saving, changing lives. He's still reaching out to the broken, the hurting, the lost, because he's still sovereign, because he's still God. I can promise you this, when you get to heaven, he'll be far more wonderful than you thought he was. When you get there, you will not be disappointed. You will not go, oh, so that's God. You'll go, whoa! Why did I not live more for you? Why didn't I trust you more? Why didn't I call out to you? Your love, your compassion is so much bigger than I realise your power, so much more glorious. We could just see it. We'd live with this expectation and this faith. God says this morning, is there any other God beside me? No, there is no other rock. I know of none. It is him and him alone. And so can I ask you to stand, can I ask the band to come back? We're going to finish in the next 10, 15 minutes together. But I want you to respond. I can't do this for you, but I want to invite you to respond, put it that way. I don't like being pressured. I'm not going to pressure you, but I want you to take seriously this moment. There's an opportunity here to do business with God and to invite him to re-lighten you a faith that says, you know what? I've been through so much. And yes, I may be a bit more weathered. And the simplistic answers don't work. But the most simple bit of all, this childlike faith is something I still want. Jesus loves me. He is good. He hears my prayers. He will show up. He is the God who heals. He is the God who transforms relationships. He is the God who transforms lives. And he's doing it even this morning. Could you stand if you're able with me? I want to say we've had a word of faith for healing this morning as we were gathering to pray in the little room. The sense that some here have come and maybe you've had prayer before but this morning there's going to be an opportunity for prayer for physical healing. But it's not just physical healing Jesus does. When we limit him, we realise how much we've limited him. For some of you, he just wants to light a fire again of faith and expectation. Some of you, he simply just wants you to know he's still God and he's still good, even what you're going through. And what the enemy's stolen and started to put in your mind that, oh, well, maybe he's not all that. God just wants to reclaim what the enemy's stolen and I believe give you more back this morning. And for some of you, it's very specifically this gift of faith. It's above and beyond. Not everyone are prophets. Not everyone are healers, Paul goes on to say in that chapter. But eagerly seek the gifts. Some of you this morning need to get this gift of faith that's new and hot and sparky in you. Because God's going to want to use you to encourage, either at work, certainly for us as a church, as we continue to go on mission, follow God and reach out to those that are hurting in this world. So if I can move us to Waymaker, I think that's different possibly than what you're expecting. We're going to go that way. Bless you. (laughs) Don't put your faith in me, put your faith in him. (laughs) I'll let you down. He won't. (laughs) He won't. Please, if you're able, to stand, we'll worship. Let's just sing and declare again the truth of our God and then we'll come and we'll take a moment to pray just to ask the Holy Spirit to come. We can ask the Holy Spirit to come and 
do what only he can. I want you to know he loves and cares for you so much. The sorrow and the hurt and the bruises, none of that you have to hide with God. He wants to bring healing and he wants to reignite faith in his goodness though. Where the enemy will use those sorrows to steal from you, Jesus wants to just draw near so you can still trust me, I know. It hurts, but I'm here. I'm the one who hung on that cross for you. I'm the one who's broken death and one day every tear will be wiped. So if you want more of that spark of faith, I just want you to ask God in this moment. As I pray now, come Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We want to be, Lord, a church full of expectation, filled with faith, filled with expectation of what you want to do all around us. So come Holy Spirit now and just reignite where embers have grown dim. Bring something new. Some of the folks here, Lord, they're going through an extremely tough time. Lord, Holy Spirit, just come and speak words of truth about who Jesus is. They can trust him no matter what. Never going to get let go of our hand, Lord. Thank you, as we heard this morning. Always with us. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's just wait for a moment together. Just stand in the quiet. Just receive from the Lord. If you sense the Lord saying something through you, you want to speak it out loud, you're most welcome. But let's just, as a church family together, just take this moment in God's presence.